All right, we're ready for class. Glad you're here. We are in the book of Matthew. All right, we are going to go Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. A very, very difficult period in Jesus' life. He's just announced who he is. We know that out of Mark, not out of Matthew. We do know that God has announced who he is out of Matthew. Good to see you, by the way. You made it all the way from Colorado, huh? Did you fly here in the wee plane? Oh, in a big one, yeah. The wee plane would get waterlogged, I think. It's good to see you. Good to see you. He was one of our members out in Colorado. He wants to make sure we haven't gone too far off the edge. We have. We have. We, and we 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 giggling as we left. Anyway, um, Matthew, somebody asked me if I, they said, you really think out of the box, don't you? And I said, no, I'm an atheist about boxes. I don't believe they exist. Um, <clears throat> last person tried to put me in one, we ground it up and, 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 and made him eat it with oatmeal. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Do you know the other part of the story there of what's going on? <coughs> we know that whole thing about the dancing and the head of, of John the Baptist on a tray. All of that's going on. And Jesus loves his cousin, but Jesus does not intervene. In fact, as we read in the other Gospels, as when we were going through them... He loved him, and he did nothing to save him. Now, this is really hard for us because many of us were taught um, some form of a magical Christianity, that if you did these things, or maybe if you prayed this secret prayer that they had found, that God just kind of has to do whatever you want him to do, and miracles will all fall to your way. And... I don't know of any other way to kill your faith and the faith of others more and faster than to teach that. And then you read in Scripture, all of God's favorites died somehow, some way, didn't they? Jesus didn't come here to save us from dying. He came here to save us from being separated from God. It's a very different thing. I have a friend of mine who's a great theologian, and I, I go to him whenever I have questions, which is more often than you might think. And uh, talking to him about prayer one time, uh, he said, I don't think God is all that interested if I have a cold, and I don't like that, because colds are my kryptonite. Uh, if I get a cold, I'm dying. You know, it's horrible. It's a man cold. It's probably fatal. Going to kill everybody in the community. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm not one of those that says, bring me stuff and attend to me. I, I'm one of those that wants to crawl in a hole. And I just tell Cammie, if I come out in three days, we're alive and everything's well. But if not, you know, just seal the door and better luck with the next guy. And it's, it's pitiful. But when I get a cold, I can't shake them. I can't, thought, I can't stop them. By the way, do not come up to me with remedies. Uh, I also am a scientist. <laughs> just, just, you know, if you do this, no. Uh, everybody has, uh, I guess, some, some besetting illness that can hit them. And I think, you know something, if I had my friend's attitude, 
I might be better prepared for when the big things come. Understanding God's not really interested in removing that. He's more interested in who I'm going to be as I go through it. That's the whole thing. Because this world's not the end of the story. I'm so glad. My father's in dementia care. And this week, many of you always ask, how is he? Bad. Um, this week, he, he moved into the paranoid, abusive, physically violent stage. And so I've been called down once. I've been called, I think, four times. And I'm a PhD. I'm not an MD. And even though I have two PhDs, that does not mean I can, uh, I can prescribe medication. But I did suggest it strongly. And they said, is that all right then? Uh, they said, we're a non-sedating uh, facility. And I said, well, cut it out. Uh, we are a sedating family. In fact, we're much more pleasant when we are sedated. <laughs> But I would hate for what my father's going through right now to be the end of his story. Wouldn't you? The end of his story is, is in heaven. This will be looked upon as a blip in time. Nothing. A vapor. It's over. We have to grind our way through it. I've had, my mother has never had a crisis of faith. In fact, as we're driving through floods... She goes, boy, this rain just keeps going. And I was about to open my mouth to say some really nasty things about the rain. And my mom goes, well, but I know God has a plan. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, Baal was the storm god. That's all I'm saying. You know, we may be having a fight here and need a Mount Carmel. I, this is all inside because my mom is too sweet. I'm not going to say anything to her. Uh, plus, she still has a mean left hook. And I'm, I'm going to to be you know, gentle through this. But she's had a little bit of faith issues with this, saying, well, why won't God just take him? We've been praying for three years. He prayed when he was still able to, that God would take him. In fact, the facility called me, this is kind of silly, a couple of weeks ago saying, we, we think he might be suicidal. I went, why would you think that? And they said, well, because he told the aides that he hopes he doesn't wake up tomorrow. I went, all right. He wants to die. And I came down and I talked to him about our faith. But I also said, the man can't walk. He can't stand. He can't see. He can barely heal, uh, hear. His um, ability to commit suicide is pretty limited. I'm not, you know, let's not talk about that. You know, but they have their little trigger words. But his end of his story will be something else. What did, jo what did Jesus do when he heard about John in prison? He withdrew to Galilee. We're going to talk about that in two weeks here uh, in a sermon on the Christian discipline of silence. I love silence. You may say, well, Patrick, every time we see you, you're talking. Yeah, because when you see me, I'm working. When I'm not working, I'm not talking. My wife and I can stay in the same room for a very long time not talking to each other, and we adore each other. One of the reasons we adore each other is because the other one doesn't go on and on and on and on and on. We understand silence actually helps feed us. It's a, it's a, it gives us strength. I know it doesn't to everybody, but uh, it does to us. So he withdraws, leaving Nazareth. He withdrew to Galilee, Nazareth. So he's been away for a little bit. He went and lived in Capernaum. He keeps circling the area, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land, on the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I don't think he was just withdrawing to be silent. I think that was a lot of it, frankly, if you read Isaiah 53. A man of sorrows, well acquainted with a grief. I think he did withdraw to go quiet. But he's also going to the areas that the prophets said would know that light has come to their darkness. I think he went in there to love them and teach them quietly. All of the best sermons that have ever been preached in the world, and not a one of them do we know. The lesson he taught to the men on the road to Emmaus, these sermons. We get a short message and um, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but not much else. We get a Matthew discourse. We, we have the Olivet discourse, rather. Uh, that's later in this book, but nothing really long. And I think that's for a reason. I think it's because he wants us not to be locked into one formula of preaching, but rather just go about doing good. Go about loving people. Remember, that's his biography in Acts. He went about doing good. Wouldn't you like that to be on your tombstone? That'd be tremendous, wouldn't it? Mine's going to be, told you I was sick, but um, told you the cold was fatal. By the way, the kingdom of heaven has come near. We, we probably, I, don't, I don't like spending time debunking other theologies. I really don't at all. But there is a theology which has been around. It surfaces in history from time to time. But it's really been around, I'd say, the last 130 years or so. It's all tied into that we're living in the end of the world now, guys. And, and uh, Armageddon's coming. And uh, it, it, it's going to be horrible and this, that, and the other. And it, tied to that is an idea with some of those that teach this, that Jesus was not expecting the pushback he got. So he established his church, but his kingdom will come when he returns. No. The church and the kingdom are the same. They're his people. Every time you see one, you can see the other. And besides, Jesus wasn't caught flat-footed by the the lack of faith around him. He knew that coming in. There, was, there were prophets. He knew about that stuff. Uh, so don't let them fool you. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Literally means is at your hand. You can touch it. You can touch it. Wow. Oh, that's nice. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Okay, this is a good walking. He saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We're going to look at that in a minute, but I want to read 21-22 first. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their, their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now. When I was a boy, this was just magical. Jesus just walking through, going, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And people were just, you know, basically, yes, master, you know, and just dropping and following him. Now, when I read it, I realize there is a dog that isn't barking. In other words, what is missing in the story? And that is their motivation for just go. I've had people say, well, they knew the prophets read the rest of the gospels they were constantly surprised at what jesus who was saying and doing and what was next no he had formed the only answer the only possible 
is that he had spent years around them before he called them. Years in friendship before he said, now's the time. And they were prepared because after the crucifixion, they still owned the boats. Do you remember that? They went back on him. I've had people say, they gave up everything. No, <laughs> they put it on hold. They put somebody else in there. But the only way they would have just dropped and walked is if they knew him and trusted him. Yet he had not been doing miracles yet. So that wasn't it. It had to be based on relationship. Now, I'm a loner. I've had people say, I'm just really sorry I've been emailing you with my problems. Are you kidding? That my favorite human interaction is at a distance. <laughs> and, and I have to force myself every day to remember that God did not call Lone Ranger. It's a community. And I do need the community. Now, not so much, uh, what I'm about to say doesn't happen so much here in the last five years, I've noticed. But when we were in the Detroit area for 10 years, as soon as we moved there, it seemed I couldn't go anywhere in the city without somebody knowing who I was. I, I really can't explain that. Maybe it had something to do with the college that was next door or the size of the church or something, but whatever it was. And I had people say, doesn't that get old? And I said, I think it's necessary. Um, Cammie and I have never complained about living in the fishbowl of ministry life because I think I need that to be accountable. There are a lot of things I would like to say, but I don't because somebody might hear. There are a lot of expressions I would like to cross my face, but I don't because somebody could be watching. I'm as sinful a person as anybody in the room. I'm not bragging. <laughs> I wish I weren't. I wish I could really tell you I'm God's favorite, but it's not the way it works. Being in a community helps me behave. See what I'm saying there? Being in a community makes me behave when I don't want to. We were talking about focus and meditation. And I wanted to use this one, my Marine friend over here. We got some Marines in here. I want you to think about jumping out of a plane, carrying 60 pounds of gear in your ruck and around your utility belt and on your vest. And you're jumping out of a plane. Let's say it's a halo. Oh, that doesn't mean you're going to get a halo high altitude, low opening, you're going to jump out with supplemental oxygen around 20,000, 25,000 feet, and you're going to fall for a while. And you're not going to open until you get down around 2,000 feet. You've got some time. <laughs> How many thoughts do you think go through their mind? I would tell you quite a lot until they get into line. And get into line, you only have one thought, and that is follow him. You, you, everything narrows. We call this, in fact, in psychology, it's called a tunnel vision because your, your world will just shrink to this. I, um, I think sometimes we forget our focus. And Jesus was focused on his job and that required sometimes withdrawing and sometimes community. And he got the balance right. I'm still working on it. How about you? I'm still working on it. Well, moving on, unless you want to say something, you got, oh, there's a hand. Hey, Kevin, what, what you got? You guys are fishermen. Yes. Not all of us were, but many of us are. When Jesus came along as a rabbi or as a teacher, 
Yes. That is correct. It's a great question. What would make somebody who is in their trade, actively working on the day, drop everything and follow a religious teacher? They had to have known him for years and known it was coming. Because the things had to be in place. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Dr. Lemons, you got something you want to go with? I don't... Okay. Uh, he said... It's likely there is some aura about him, um, aura in, in American English, evidently, um, aura about you. That just, it doesn't mean like the new age people, I can see colors around you. I've had people say that too. I'm going, wow, that's politically incorrect. We don't see colors. Anyway, um, that meant the personality, the charisma. Um, Jesus was there for them. He knew the scripture forwards and backwards. If you're going to attach yourself to a winning teacher, there are a lot of wandering rabbis. You attach yourself to one who had proven himself, that he lived according to his words. He lived according to the Bible. And I do like the way you called it the Bible instead of the Old Testament, because not a Jew then would have understood what Old Testament meant. His Bible, Jesus' Bible, was primarily the books of history, the prophets, and the Psalms. The other books weren't read as often, but he would have known those books too by that time, by 30. He would have known those books too by those. But they focused. The Psalms was his songbook. Uh, it was his theological map. And these people had to know that to the point where we'll go with him. And we know it's coming. That's another. I really think they had to know there's going to Yes, please. Okay, now that's also true. That's a good point. Um, the Roman rule of the day, and I would, I would even pile on that, the religious division and squabbling of the day had primed them that they've got to have something better. And Jesus was Sadiq. He was righteous. The highest goal of any Jewish man was to be called righteous. And they would have wanted that mantle. Plus, I cannot help but wonder if they didn't think this was going to be for a day or two. They didn't know, we're not going home yet. We're not going home yet. We got other work to do. Anybody else? This is good stuff. Yes, please. He spoke with authority. Now we know this from the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is coming up chapter, at the end of chapter 7. You're right. He knew, what he, he knew who he was and what he was about. In other words, he was focused, once again. Focused. That whole thing about focus, I think we've missed this. And the world does not want you to focus, because if you focus, you lose the world's voice, which means they cannot use you. They cannot control you. They cannot get your money and your vote and the like. Well, it's interesting. We've got, we got more voices. And the little twins are gone. No, I'm kidding. Pray, pray for Matthew and John Little. They both have interviews. Yeah, one, one in Memphis and one over at UT Knoxville. 
for medical school. And uh, they are our guys. They say they think it's a conspiracy to keep them apart. And I said, no, no, it's just God answering our prayer that both of you will be three hours away from us. <laughs> and that did not calm, the, that did not cheer them up. I, um, some people you cannot help. All right. You know, that's a really good point, and I don't know if we want to run down that road too far, but using Martin Luther King Jr., he was, um, he was really gifted in oratory, uh, but that means he also had to originate the words and then far, have a way for them to really come out. And I have heard many people that were amazing preachers and great leaders but when they walked into the room, you didn't really notice them. There is a special character in some. When they walk into the room, everything changes. And Jesus seems to have been that kind of person. However, he seems to be able to actually kind of tuck that in too. Because there are some places he walked in, people didn't, and they would even ask him, what do you think of that Jesus? One of my favorite events of all my life, because I'm such a small, petty man. Uh, it was about, oh, 15 years or so now ago, I went to a big Christian college lectureship. I won't say which one, but it's in Oklahoma. And um, I'd never given the keynote there or spoken out there before. And there were guys out in the, in the lobby of this uh, big convention center thing that they got on campus going over everything. And there weren't pictures. They're just names. They're, they were trying to figure out which ones to go to. And uh, I was just standing nearby and they got down, anybody know this Patrick Mead guy? You know, I never heard of him, that's not the other. And they turned to me and they go, have you heard this guy? And I said, yeah, I have. They said, what's he like? And I said, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> well, a couple hours later, I stood up to give the keynote and you see this redness coming up on a And it wasn't fair, but it was fun. <laughs> Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I'm going to stop. When I was a boy, I struggled with the concept that the gospel means good news because church seemed to throw burdens on us every time we got near it. It broke us. And I lost two sisters to suicide. And I think that was connected to this. One, took to, I, I, one technically was not suicide, uh, but she chose a lifestyle that guaranteed that's where she's going. How's that? So I just call it the long, slow suicide. The, the burdens broke all of us. Um, I'm still a broken person, but God takes broken pieces of glass and makes beautiful windows, so you can take it to him and let him make something special out of it. I think of Philip Yancey, if you've ever read his books about his growing up, it was brutal. And the church was responsible for the brutality. And the college he went to was horrible. And yet, he's all about grace now. You know, so you can take it there. What good news? Because I'm thinking, all right, here's Old Testament. We, we were told when I was a boy, now this is a lie, that the Old Testament's about law, the New Testament's about grace. People, the Old Testament's about grace too. Forgiveness and grace and forgiveness and grace. This, and I don't want this to sound anti-Semitic, so put that down there. When people say, well, the Old Testament was about law, it wasn't about grace. I say, then how did we end up with Jews? 
Now, I think any person, any tribal group, any whatever ethnicity would have done as poorly as them. But he chose them, and yet they're still surviving at the end of it. That, to me, is grace, isn't it? That's amazing grace, to coin a phrase. Sounds like a song. I, um, I see grace all through the Old Testament. Grace with me, because in my life, I've been no more faithful than the Jews in the Old Testament. And yet, saved. You too. By the way, if you don't go to churches normally where the minister is this open, um, I understand that it might be a bit of a shock. But here's the thing. When I was a boy, the preachers always told us about their sins and not about the, our sins, rather, but not theirs. And I think that was unhealthy. I think that was. We are all in need of grace. What is the good news Jesus could have been saying about the kingdom? Say, uh, say again. The, blood of Jesus the, the, the blood of Jesus, yes. They would not have understood that one yet, though, because that didn't happen. But, you, but you're right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you're right. That comes later. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I like your answer. I do like your answer. Yeah, I like him being, like being here, too. That's right. Uh, Dr. Lemons, some people, if, uh, if we were to say what good news could he have possibly given, would have said, oh, relief from the old law. What would you say? Oh, the, don't get angry. Just, I'm saying some people, not me. Not me. I wouldn't do it. Oh, yeah. They're... God was not turning his back on the Jews. God also did not ask us to turn our back on that story and the law, the moral law, and the, the whole concept. I mean, this, the Old Testament ushers you up to God. You need it. We didn't. They even gave us Bibles that didn't have it. Well, now that's, that's, a good, that's a good thought. Those of you that couldn't hear, he said uh, one of the reasons he thinks Jesus didn't do more miracles openly or, and then told people to be quiet about it, which never worked. Sometimes, it, sometimes I can understand that, right? Uh, weren't you blind? <laughs> that, that one, all right, it's kind of hard to, well, yeah, what happened? Well, I hit my head. The question I ask is, what, is, what possible good news could Jesus have had about the kingdom? Forgiveness of sins. That's the amazing thing. If this guy comes along and says, I forgive your sins, as if he's the party offended. There, exactly. Exactly. And in fact, that's the trilemma, isn't it, of C.S. Lewis, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Jesus was going around saying forgiveness of sins is given by God. I, I think the good news was actually said by angels on the night of his birth. Whenever they stand up there and they say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. When God showed up, he wasn't angry with us. He, the good news is God loves you. He knows all of this about you, but he is calling you to relationship with God because he loves you. Let's walk together. Lay down your nets. Let's take a walk with God.
And that's the good news. Yes, John. He thinks it's good, yes, and I would agree. The good news is also that it's for everybody, not just the Jews. And in fact, isn't he doing a, a lap around the, he's not really going into Gentile territory. It kind of looks like it. He's going around the edges. So he's talking to them. The reason is there's going to be an official going into the Gentile territory later. Yes. Exactly. The Old Testament is a story of falling away and repentance and the patience of God and the love of God. Well, that, that, there are times I can't get a word out of you guys. This is amazing. A little scary. News about him spread all over Syria. Uh, Just a word to the wise. I'm not going to go into borders and such. When there is a national name given in scripture, it doesn't always mean the nation state that's here today. For example, Ethiopia was a very vague term. It doesn't mean the Horn of Africa, but the Horn of Africa would have been included. Um, and Syria here, and by the way, there was an Ethiopia they believed existed east of, of Syria. You know, they, they, they use these terms very vaguely. Syria is just north and east, all right? Uh, that's where they're going. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. I want you to take a very close look at the list. Now, it is not as detailed as the list in Luke, who was a physician, and he's going to make a couple more splits there. Uh, I'm a former shrink, and one of the things, if you're a believer and you're in that field, uh, people will, will say, well, you, you can't believe there are demons. Well, I do. They say, well, you can't believe a demon possession. Well, I do, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. You've got to get Hollywood out of it. And then they will say, well, we know today they were just seizures. In the Bible, they differentiate between the two. And Luke will differentiate between epilepsy and other illnesses and demon possession. They knew the difference. They weren't stupid. I mean, Often, I do think of this, what would happen if Patrick were dropped in the middle of a jungle or a forest or a desert without anything? What could he invent to survive? Oh, no, Patrick's dead. No, there's, it's, it's not. I'm not going to look around and say, well, the first 15 steps are, uh-uh. It's just going to be, huh, I'm dead. They invented the wheel. They invented algebra and trigonometry. And they figured out the calendar. They figured out the circumference of the earth within 60 miles by watching things sail and how fast they disappeared on the horizon and did the math. And I still don't know how to do that math (laughs) at all. And I'm going, wow, these people aren't stupid. They know the difference. And by the way, that's another thing atheists will throw at you. Uh, They will say, oh, people just believed in miracles back then. No, they didn't. 
you remember when Moses did miracles or God did miracles through Moses? They just pulled out the magicians to mimic that. And whenever he would do miracles, there are people go, ah, you know, I'm not sure. He may be doing that through Satan or something, but no, they didn't believe people could just walk through doing miracles. This, this was staggering to them. Matthew tells us where it indicates that there was a really intensive period of miracles that is off screen on the other gospels. They don't talk about it. And this doesn't give us much in the way of detail. So it makes me wonder if he's doing it in those outlying towns, seems to be, throughout Galilee. I'm wondering if he's going around the edges there. Uh, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, that means 10 cities area, um, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. I'm going to, I don't mean to upset anybody here and it's, or to be irreverent, but back in the 70s, late 70s, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote his first musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, I didn't see it. I listened to the music a lot because music I like and I, I kind of dissected it and listened to it. Do I think the message of the, the, you know, I'm not endorsing the musical, but there's one scene I wish we could just cut. I imagine we could buy the rights to cut and play. And it is Jesus starts by healing someone, but then the crowds keep coming. And as they're walking through, the music gets more and more intense. And the people keep saying, can you heal me, Christ? Can you touch me, Christ? Can you see me, Christ? And they just keep coming to where he reacts he just screams, heal yourselves. Well, I don't think he would have done that. But we do know, read the book of Mark, there are more than a dozen occasions where he's getting away from the crowd. He wasn't here to do miracles, but if he was, that would have been all he could do. He was doing miracles, I believe, to establish who he was, but these seem to be just because of sympathy. Because there's no, and this person then went on to. Or th those other stories we'll get later. It's just Jesus did help people along the way. And that's why Deuteronomy 6 is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. You don't need a program. You don't need a book with 22 steps. Although if that helps you focus, who am I? Get the book. But what you need is to keep your eyes open, meditate, and focus through the day and walk. Pay attention. And God will show up. And he will show up in a way you don't want him to a lot. Uh, C.S. Lewis really got me on this one. He said, God shows up in the interruptions. Especially the unwelcome ones. I got, now, I talk to people. Because I'm here and I try to be uh, kind and as I can be. Um, we have a meeting that uh, it's 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I get here a little bit after 7.30, but 9 o'clock, people are there, and it's the worship thing, and we got to get this done and get out because we want to meet people. We want to love people, but we have to have that meeting. I made eye contact with a few people today that I didn't make the meeting until 9.07. Now, I walked in, and people are going, oh, there he is. And they're making a, uh, they hold me in such esteem, they have a raft of jokes immediately. And I said, uh, tip for the day, don't make eye contact with people. And we all laughed because we understood what that meant. That meant 
I had an appointment, but God had something else. Okay. All right. It, my son-in-law once said he wanted to write my autobiography one day, but I'd have to be dead, and I, I got that. I told him you can't write an autobiography, but you could write a biography. So we had a moment. But anyway, I said, if you do, um, I have two suggested titles. Uh, he, he had another couple of titles, which I'm not going to tell you. One was, uh, as, as an old deli uh, ordering thing, uh, a, a take on it, one man hold the halo. And the other was the accidental minister. I didn't mean to be here. Not like Franklin, although that's included. I didn't mean to be anywhere other than I had a plan. And none of it happened. And I thank God for it. Um, the interruptions. Here he walks through, healing. The large crowd comes. What happens next? When he sees the crowd, he goes up on a mountainside and sits down. And once again, Kevin, when you're in a group that's following you in Jewish society, when you sit down, you're the teacher. In our society, we reverse that. But unless you are, well, not even then. You ever been to an Orthodox Catholic worship? There are no pews. You stand. It's kind of, and they go for some time, by the way. Uh, be prepared. And they don't require you to do everything. They go down all the way to the ground on some prayers, not all the prayers, and not every Sunday. Uh, but it, it's really a, a beautiful thing. If you've never gone, I think that you should. The, um, the, the reverence is just amazing. And I think it's correcting a bit too in my life. Um, that said, there, um, in, in British sports, we don't have seats. You're in the stands. They're called that for a reason. And it's, also, it's very important that you are standing so you can quickly dodge the beer bottles and the riots of the English footballers. But when he turned around and sat, that was an intentional act, and it was also a declaration of who he was. All right? So, here we go. We, we, we spent almost a year on the Sermon on the Mount, so we're, we're not going to hit every angle here, but we're going to hit some. Yes? Oh, yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Unless you've ever had an appetizer that was better than the meal. Yeah. But people at the end of chapter 4, what was leading up to the, to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. Jesus touched them more personally by healing them than he did with what he taught. He touches us with what he taught because this is about us. Right. You're exactly right. And I hope everybody could hear it because I don't want to repeat all of that. And the people online that are listening online wondering, what did Kevin say? Well, you know, show up. 
Uh, you know, that's all I, can, I can't say it all. And we don't have a microphone runner today. I like the, uh, the appetizer thing because it reminds me of a beer commercial. Which are the best commercials, right? Let's just be honest. They're brilliant. Well, this one's like 30 years old now. It's been way off, so only us old people are going to understand that one. Do you remember, there are, yeah, you have people drinking beer, and they're fishing, or they're hunting, or they're doing some other activity where you drop the G off the active form of the verb, and, you know, and talking, and hunting, and eating. And, and one of them will turn to the other, and they'll say, it doesn't get any better than this. Remember that one? To me, that was depressing. To a Christian... It didn't get any worse than this. It's better. It's better. Do you remember I talked a couple weeks ago about the woman that had a fork and was buried with the fork? Because at potlucks, when they get your plate, if they say keep your fork, it means cake is coming. And she wanted to be buried with a fork because she believed something better was coming. I said, I want to be buried with a fork too. Cammie said, now we're going to cremate you and we need the fork to complete the set. So anyway. Um, hey, sweetie. People sometimes wonder why we come in separate vehicles. <laughs> and they also wonder why I'm still alive. She's American. She has a gun. Anyway. Um, oh, it's coming up on... We're, we're going to stop it right there. We're going to, any other comments? Because um, I don't want to keep you away from those of you that need to get children and grandchildren. But uh, we have one minute. Anybody have a final salvo or shot across the bow? Brother, we love one gen away. We love the Whitney's. You brought your bride with you. And uh, I know how this works. She's the brains. Yeah. And the looks, yes. I wasn't going to say that, but we all knew. We all knew. We all knew. But we love your heart for the poor. And um, we, you thank us, but we thank you because you remind us of where our focus should be. God bless. We'll see you next time around.